Woof, woof, or the demon dog bark. He's got a 12-inch wanger that glows in the dark. His brain is big, but his dick is bigger. His right-wing fingers on the nuclear trigger. Yes, my friends, hear this ode. I porked a lizard and a lobster and a horny toad. I'm the king of writers. Woof, woof, woo-woo. I got a two-year-old girlfriend strung out on glue. I'll end this poem with a sauerkraut fart. Then I'll pick up my pen and write straight from the heart. Hear me now. Hear my spiel of big bad Jeremy Guez and how he is real. Good evening, peepers, prowlers, pederasts, pedants, panty sniffers, punks, and pimps. I'm happy to be here tonight in the service of a young man who has been compared to, chiefly, me, (laughs) secondarily, Raymond Chandler and Albert Camus. Jeremy Guez should have won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1957, (laughs) but he wasn't born yet. You may think you know me. I'm a well-known L.A. cad about town. How many of you folks have read my two best-selling, award-winning, earth-shaking memoirs, My Dark Places and The Hilliker Curse? If you have, raise your hands. You think you know it all. But there is a story that I have omitted, and it largely pertains to this young man over here. In 1962, when I was 14 years of age, I was, among other things, the lover of both Ingrid Bergman and Ava Gardner. And for my occupation, I was an underground mercenary and for hire political assassin in the backwaters of France. In the fall of 1962, ultra-right-wing elements within the French army outraged that Charles de Gaulle, the president of France, was going to grant Algeria its freedom, hired me for half a million dollars to assassinate de Gaulle. You may know me as James Elroy, but they knew me by my code name, the Jackal. You may not believe me. I was only 14 then. I was born here in L.A. in 1948. But this es la verdad, my niños. Well, we all know that Charles de Gaulle died peacefully of old age, natural causes, in his bed. I blew the shot at the last moment and I went on the run. I worked for the Mossad in Israel, clipping 
radical jihadists by the boatload. And in 1987, I passed through Tunisia where I had a scalding hot love affair with the French actress Delphine Seyreg. Peepers, prowlers, pederasts, pedants, panty sniffers, punks, and pimps, you're going to hear it for the first time here tonight. Jeremy Guez is my illegitimate son. <laughs> In France, I have come out as Jacques-Un. Jeremy is Jacques-Toi. Jacques-Three is his son, my grandson. Delphine Seyrig has long ago passed to her eternal reward. You're not laughing. The only people in this room who are even smiling are my two friends in the third row here. I assure you that everything I have said in the preceding five minutes is entirely true. Albert Camus, eh. Jeremy Guiz, Ariba. Listen, motherfuckers. If you think Camus' book, L'Etranger, is a bummer, wait till you read Eyes Full of Empty, set in bummer zone Paris today. You'll wish you were back in L.A. rereading the L.A. Quartet for the 43rd time. At least there's some good jokes, some great animal humor, and some lively racial repast. Jeremy Guez's book is stolid, extremely stylized. He writes with a pen dipped in acid. This book is an admixture chemically of napalm, the AIDS virus, and crack cocaine. It will vibrate your vindaloo. If each and every one of you buy 1,000 copies of Eyes Full of Empty Tonight, you will be able to have unlimited sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives. Right, that's true. If each and every one of you buy 2,000 copies of this book tonight, you will be able to have unlimited sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives and still get into heaven as the result of a special dispensation signed by me, the Reverend Elroy. (laughs) If each and every one of you buy 3,000 copies of this book tonight. You get the sex. You get into heaven. And for the first time in history, Paris, France, and East Hollywood will rule the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Guest, my son.
Hey, thank you guys. Uh, I'm glad you came tonight. Thank you, James. Oh, yeah, that's better like this. Thank you, James, for the introduction. Uh, so I came a long way to see you guys uh, to present my book. I'd like to thank my publisher. They're right there, hiding almost. <laughs> Olivia and Chris. And to I, I'd like to thank the translator, Edward. Yeah, he did an amazing job because there's like a lot of French slang in the book and it was really hard to translate, so you did a great job, thank you. Uh, I'm going to begin with the prologue, read you a few lines, see if you like it or not. <laughs> uh, I apologize for my English. Uh, as you know guys, I'm French, so I'll do my best. So here's the prologue. So today's my birthday. On a stool, elbows on my knees, head in my hands, I wait for the feeling to go away. This joint has fried my brain, ash so bad you have to squeeze the glowing end till your thumb blisters just to break it up. Also, it can do you the service of shoving a road through the middle of your skull, scattering thoughts, good and bad and indifferent, mowing down everything in sight. This fucking piece of shit ash has done time in plastic wrap, pockets, socks, and probably even someone else before getting fobbed off in the yard. A gift horse from my cellmate, Tariq. I told him it was my birthday today, and he ended me the joint and said, Have a happy one on me. I really lucked out with him. When all you have is 100 square feet to live in, better get along with the guy you share it with. Gonna take a shit says Tarek. I turn the lighter on an orange peel I keep in a plastic box under my bed for times like this to freshen up the cell as needed. I watch the peel blacken, flames running down the coarse grain. I take a deep breath, filling my lungs with smoke. It smells like citrus and hash. I'm seriously high. All right. So, well, I'm going to present you this book. It's about like a private detective who is not really legit, is much more a fixer for rich families, and uh, is like moving between like between words and social letters. And this is like the kind, well, that kind of character was inspired because I grew up uh, in different neighborhoods and I know both like bad drug dealers and people with PhDs, so uh, I came out with this idea to try to pick up this very American character, uh, which is the private detective, and put it in a modern Paris that I know, and it was very, very, I had like a lot of fun doing it, because um, we're not familiar with that kind of Chandler-ish character, uh, as you guys are, and it was a real challenge for me to try to make this guy French. Uh, so, well, is the son of an Algerian immigrant? Will be the, equival the equivalent here of, I don't know, maybe a Mexican-American or something. And so it was a big challenge for me and um, to kind of, of, well, I was very much influenced by your literature, especially in genre. Uh, I remember like the first book of Elroy I bought. I didn't know it was my father back then, but uh, I was like, uh, I, I worked in a warehouse and uh, I was, well, loading and unloading 
trucks all day long and it was my first pay I went to that bookshop around the corner and I picked up uh, I don't know what's the English title James are you still here? Yeah I'm here Blood on the Moon is that the thing? Yeah Lune Sanglante exactly which was published by Rivage by François and it was such a blast for me that like it changed my whole vision of literature I was not a great reader I had no access to books at home and well when I read this well I was not familiar with LA or your country but I knew that like it was great literature it was like Dostoevsky like taking place nowadays uh, with cops robbers perv drug dealers drug addicts and I felt like I could do well I could write something that was looking like the place where it was from and do it with my guts um, and without knowing anything about literature so it was really a, a big re- reveal for me to to discover Elroy and I'm so glad that is my father now uh, and that he came here tonight but still it's to say that like you you guys and you culture the literature it has been like a big influence to me and uh, there are many of your stuff that I put in this book that I try to sell settle make them French or sounds French but uh, with that American genre I would never even have had the idea of writing a book like this and uh I'm really glad and proud and really honored to be here today and that it got translated with such a marvelous translation. Thanks, Edward. Um, I didn't know if you want to say a word about like the slang or like the difficulties you had or not. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, grab the mic. Come on. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm, I remember you helped me uh, a little bit uh, with some of the words because um, uh, I, I definitely, I definitely can't imagine being a translator uh, bef- before the age of Google. Uh, <laughs> I just would have taken a lot more um, time, I, I suppose. Um, I'm not talking about Google Translate, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could, <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the one I most remember asking you about was um, the, the word for a nine bar of, of hash. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, for me it was a lot about uh, uh, reading Jeremy's work and, and actually feeling the um, Americanness and, and figuring out a, a hard-boiled voice for it um, uh, uh, that was uh, once I had set the tone for that voice then I could carry that through the book. Um, and it, it helps that, you know, I mean, noir is a word we borrowed from the French, right? I mean, it's 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 a right. it's a genre of very self-consciously a reciprocal influence um, uh, across the across the pond. So, um, I mean, I think I've gotten some. Well, I was just at a translation convention. I had gotten some questions about like, is it was it. Americanizing the book too much to to move it into this register of, of American slang, but I mean I, the answer to that is uh, the influence is already there. You know they're 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 bred into into the la- Jeremy's language. So um, yeah, and I, I really find the the point of view remarkable. Uh, I mean uh, it's yeah it's it 
giving it to it an immigrant uh, um, uh, uh, character um, it, it opens up a whole new view, uh, perspective on the kind of social analysis that uh, crime uh, noir, noir does so well so great and like well that, that that's true but like the challenge was also not to write an American book because it's obvious that our societies are very different so well here Cops are very respected in, in France, that's different. We, we don't have the same justice, and so I didn't want it to be uh, like a disguised American book, which would have been like uh, unlegitimate and, and full of lies. So I tried to make it as French as I could, like uh, to, well, implant it in the city I knew the best in the world, which is Paris. And uh, Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to read another piece of the book, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, it's really like, as the, like, we don't take... We don't use cars often in Paris. We'll we'll take the metro or walk. So, well, the character has this kind of erratic attitude, and he's always walking and around, and and is is very is very lonely. So, that's that's a passage that resumes it quite well. I take the metro to Republic and walk to Rue de Bretagne, where cafe owners wear aprons like the wool sailors at Trangis. Except that around here, rent must be pushing a thousand euros a square foot. I don't have the keypad code for the building, so me and my broken face hang around out front until a little old lady opens the door. I go in behind her, giving her the nicest smile in my repertoire, so she won't think I'm going to rape her and her tiny dog in the closet where they keep the trash cans. I check out the mailboxes, no name tags. Why don't students even put their names on their mailboxes? Do they, do they not know that court summons never come by email? Fucking maladjusted children. Five floors, two doors on each landing. Our started top, students always live in the garret. I run into the little old lady again, unlocking her door. I make like I don't see her and try, me key, and try my key on the door across the way. No dice. Fourth floor, key works on the first try. I turn it slowly in the lock and push the door open with my foot. The apartment's huge, but I knew that. One look at the lobby and you knew. You don't need a real estate broker to tell you. The kitchen opens on the living room, American style, a long hallway, a door on the right, his room, nothing special, a closet with some clothes inside, book lining shelves, built in above a desk, a full bed, flawlessly made. I peek underneath. Among the dust bunnies is another accordion folder. I have to get down on the floor to reach it. Inside are dozen cassette tapes and label. It's strange. The only loser of his generation wouldn't switch to MP3s. Impossible. A sound distracts me from the tapes and I shove them back under the bed. I hear the same sound again, same volume, moaning. I poke my head at the door to see where it's coming from. Treading lightly now. There, a second door at the end of the hall. I take a deep breath and bust through. Not much point in knocking. So, well... Um, yeah, that kind of errands. I think you you have it like in Los Angeles, but in much more urban way. Like you're, you can drive for hours, and and it takes like a lot of time to go 
from one place to another and Paris is a very small city compared to LA obviously or to other American city because uh, people, well rich people at least they live in uh, in the center, in the town center, in the inner city uh, and suburbs are for middle class, low classes and poor people uh, which is like basically the opposite here so that guy is like living in Paris but he, he can't afford, he can't really afford to do so and is like living among those rich people and there is a gigantic gent gentrification in Paris uh, I guess it's pretty much the same here and in every western city but it went so fast that neighborhood well where like immigrants were living they had to they had to left really quick like it happens in I don't know three four years five years maybe it was so quick and it really changes the 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 way we see the city and Parisians sometimes they're not they're like casted away from their homes and, and Paris is becoming that big open, well, open museum where there are so many tourists and uh, it's very strange to see it happening. Like, I, well, when I, when I go back to some of the area I grew up, where I grew up, like where my grandparents used to live or whatever, I don't even recognize the place. Those were places where I couldn't even hang out at night when I was a kid. Well, I, I'm no kid anymore, obviously, but it's far less dangerous. And you have like those trendy bars and and well and bookstores, obviously, because it's France. And uh, I don't know tattoo shops, and it really changed. And well, that's great because it used to be it used to be like very poor and dangerous neighborhoods but I kind of miss the fact that anybody could live here and those are the place where I grew up and I kind of miss it now and I tried to to put that nostalgia into the, the, the main character because uh, he's like a stranger in his own town and there are many Parisian I think that, that are starting feeling the same and uh, it's also like uh, a great way to introduce genre because what I like with with uh, your literature and well we we can talk Chandler we can talk Alroy we can talk whoever uh, it's all about uh, well rich is ruling the world uh, poor people uh, cleaning well cleaning their shit and um, it's the same everywhere and. I like that aspect and the fact that, well, when you have, well, the private detective books, they're quite desperate uh, because you always start with a very depressed character who's, who's gone through, every, who's, well, he's been through everything, uh, he's often single, and, well, he has, like, this investigation and uh, he lose everything again, but still I think there is a great message behind it because even like a, a even an exhausted man like a man who's lost everything like love uh, respect well he can still get up and fight against powerful guys even if he loses often at the end but I like the philosophy of the private detective books because it's about like losers washed up men that 
are going to stand against, even if they're going to lose at the end, we don't care. I mean, the, the, the message and the philosophy is just kind of beautiful, and that was what, that kind of what was appealing for, for many French writers reading American authors is that behind that, those desperate stuff, there is like, there is a moral, and there are, well, those guys, they're fighting for, for, a sense of justice and morals even if it's not like global moral it's just their code of honor but well they won't let you buy it and that's what fascinated me about that kind of character and what I wanted to write about is that well even like you can take everything away from a man but still if he has a great sense of honor he'll, he can live with it you know he can live with a little money and, and reject him from, from the place he's from and humiliate him but he will keep fighting so this is a book about uh, a guy who never, who never quit fighting even if he maybe took too many blows but he's still standing and that was really, really interesting. And I wanted to talk about those people, the kind of people you never see that are stuck between two worlds, like that they don't belong anywhere and they're trying, they're like walking alone and they won't stop walking uh, till the end. And uh, I feel, I feel a lot of sympathy for that kind of character. Actually, I was going to say, that, that was, that's one thing that, one of the things that makes him sympathetic is that he's such a terrible detective. Yeah. And he knows yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's he, true. He knows it, but he yeah. just keeps going. Yeah. Right? And that, that actually is something that endeared me to him in the book. Yeah. And the other thing is that, like... Can you use the mic, please? Sure. The, his, his sense of um, honor or his, 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 his stubbornness alienates him from... You were talking about, you know, being split between worlds, yeah. but it alienates him from his family. Yeah, that's true. Alien, a, alienates him from his friends often, and the very friends that he depends on to, you know, save his life or, or, or help him through tight spots. But actually, I was wondering if you could talk about the family a little, because that was one of the things that gave him a lot of uh, a rootedness and authenticity for me was yeah. the fact that he came from uh, a matriarchal clan yeah, uh, and and you know and the person he fears most is, is, is or fears and respects and adores most is, is, is you know his gra- grandmother yeah so um that that's that was an, a new a completely new note for me in this kind of yeah that, that's true well that's something very personal because like uh my grandmother was uh a, an italian woman born in tunisia and she took like his family that they, they had to leave Tunisia like in the sixties and they came to France with no documents, no money, no nothing. And uh her husband couldn't work properly so she had to do everything to like fill fill in some documents to get like the French the French uh f- to get French passport for Right, those documents never end. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, you know this, yeah. In France it's really hard to to well to have documents when you're foreigners sure and so well she she's still alive uh thank god and well she was really she was really a true fighter she never uh shot her mouth in front of anybody like and she's quite amazing so uh i wanted like it was a way to to honor her and i thought she was a great character because 
she is like, yeah, that's that's really, yeah, she's like, I don't know, godmother or something. Like she's taking care of business. And and my grandmother, she had nothing, but she was that kind of person. So um, we were all like respecting her. And, and I remember like, like uh, drug dealers in front of her building, they were, um, they were, how can I say it? Like they were, uh, Buying uh, her well and and lifting his the, her groceries to her apartment because they respected her <laughs> and and she wasn't afraid and that that's something she 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 told everybody and uh, she well she she is amazing and I saw it was very uh, well it was very good character for the book and like obviously. Uh, She's she's very, well. She's the only character who is real, like who exists in real life. So, okay, I'm proud I did this. Well, that, that's interesting because um, I was going to ask about you populate the book with a lot of um, characters with 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 tiny uh, uh, small parts, yeah. right? partly because you get some social commentary out of that, but also, yeah. um, and I, actually, I was going to wa- uh, wondering if like, how many of those were you know some yeah, of your real. acquaintances, like the the um, there's a very colorful. Um, the car thief. Uh, the, well, the car thief is a big character, yeah. but in terms of small characters, there's the the Jewish yeah. man who who runs the porn yeah. shop. Hundred percent true. Oh, okay. Yeah, in Pigal, there are many like oh, yeah, yeah, religious people like Orthodox Jews that run sex shops. Yeah, that's well, it's just a regular business. <laughs> or, or the immigrants who run the internet cafe. Yeah, like true, true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I, I well, I, I didn't have to lie about. Those people, because they're like kind of bigger than fiction. You well, you you couldn't invent like best characters. They're so they're full of of well contradiction. So I just thought it was great to put them in. And the well, the car thief is real too. Oh, oh, yeah. You uh, you have a, a carjacking friend. No, it's not. Well, he, well, I, I knew. I yeah, I knew him. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was not really my friend, but I knew him. Yeah, it was like he was, but like he was. And yeah. you did his homework for him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, that's true. No, but like he, he was like he could. Uh, he was. It was a guy who was fascinated by cars and well he could like drive everything when he was 15 he would be driving cars with no with no license no nothing yeah no you have a, a great description of him when you introduce him uh where it talks about how skilled he is yeah. like, you know, almost like he's a you know he a mechanically minded wizard and he yeah. can not only you know jump start things yeah. and take things apart and put them back together but he can um you know, do it for on all ranges of vehicles, and yeah. he can. He's very skilled at, at driving them as well. Yeah. I remember one of the um, the voc- vocab um, things that I did a bunch of research for were these uh, the the fast cars. Yeah. The, 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 the go the, fast. Yeah. The, the drug cars that yeah. they drive across Europe. Yeah. Kind of like you don't Europe. have it here. No, th- th- we have the cigarette boats. Yeah. Right? But you have borders. That's why. Right. <laughs> no, because like no, but that that's true. Like like in Europe, th- this is. Uh, we have Schengen laws, uh, so we have no borders. Like we have open borders, you can get controlled, but you won't get stuck at the border. So the way they entered drugs into France, which was a big problem for years, was that they would they would go with very fast cars, like German cars, like Audis and and Mercedes and Porsches, and they'll load the cars in Spain or in Holland, and they'll drove back from those country to France and they were driving really fast like 
I don't know what's the equivalent in miles per hour, but it w they will drive like two two forty kilometers per hour. Okay. So this is amazing. We have like big right. highways. That's like uh, 160 miles. Yeah, right? yeah. And they were doing it, and and the the police like for 15 years they they were not able to cope them because they they had no such cars. Huh. And now they do. Yeah. Wow. Well, they have like they they implemented a a, a kind of like well um, they implemented uh, a custom brigade. Uh, was in charge for those, and now they no longer exist. They do it like they hide some drugs into a car and, and you know, pay pay a family who look nice to pass the drugs. But yeah, they used to, they used to drive very fast convoy of, of uh, German cars loaded with whatever drugs you can you could find on the market. And yeah, and it was a big yeah it was a big issue in France. Because they couldn't handle it. Because with no borders, you can't you cannot fight this. Would you like to open up yeah, of course, I'd love to. So, if you guys have any questions, I'll try to answer it. I was wondering if there were any French crime writers or European man. There have been some French crime writers translated here. There's the and Marseille. Any of those writers were also uh if they were influenced by oh yeah 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 a few like uh james must know him like jean-patrick manchette yeah it was great and claude Klotz, uh unfortunately is less famous but it was great too he's always good he was good but uh i think like well they're not going to tell you this because we're proud but the truth is um Gender in France during well after World War Two it was either uh, either basic or uh, very very social in the in a very in a very explanatory way, uh, which means that it was almost political books. You know, they'll tell you who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and and who is wrong and who is. Right, and um, American genre changed everything because you were you guys were just describing stuff, and it was amazing. Like it, it would say ten times more stuff about the political or the social situation that trying to make a big speech about it. And so, um, well, the American authors they changed the way French writer could write genre. So I have to say that the main influence and, and uh, well, maybe uh, I, I'll maybe be the only one to tell you this, but that's that's the truth. Like uh, American literature changed everything in France. That's why we have now good writers, I think, because uh, we kind of mixed our own literature, uh, which was very... Uh, Kind of genre like during the 18th century uh, with the American contemporary uh, literature. So we're more influenced by crime, well, by American crime writers than by French crime writers. Yeah, if I could just add a note to that, we owe a lot to you, uh, to France as well, for keeping a lot of American writers who fell out of yeah. print in the mid-century um, alive. I mean, like David Goodis, uh, yeah. Lionel White, yeah, um, that's even true. Charles Williford yeah, were Charles unavailable Williford, yeah. uh, in, in, in English for a few decades or, or virtually and 
I mean, as you probably know, they're also huge. Uh, at least White and and uh, Goodis were huge influences on the new wave, yeah. the new wave cinema. So um, yeah, I mean, it's like you guys uh, kept it alive for us yeah. for a while. But like like James, he's like a, he knows it. It's like a demi god. It's like a demi god in France. Uh, because like uh, Blood on the Moon was was a huge strike, and and Manchette did a great article about the book. He was really impressed, and uh, Manchette was very like it was the number one back in the back in the days. And he wrote a very famous article uh, telling that he uh, he hadn't read in his whole life no such thing as Blood on the Moon. So he was he was he was pretty honest about like what. American writers were bringing to the game, so yeah, I, I guess e even like we kept translating foreign authors. That's true. We love David Goodies. We love, but in, yeah. well, I, I mean, as you may know, a lot of Manchette's uh, translations are. I mean, books are coming out slowly with a New York Review of Books, um, but uh, also, I mean, also to put it in context, he was a prolific translator from English. He translated well, Watchmen, I yeah. believe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, that's very true, and and he's really he w he's really famous in France, and he was he was a very uh, a very engaged social figure, very left wing. Uh, he was a great man, and well, he did that thing about Erlewine's book because he he truly believed that it was amazing. So, um, well, you have to give him credit for this because. Uh, Back in the day, we were really proud about what we were doing, even if it wasn't that great. Uh, so I guess, yeah, maybe, well, this article changed a lot of things, I think, for us. And, and well, especially for me, because uh, publishers like Rivage, they, they, like they, they, they brought Jandra to the next level. It was really literature. Before it was like... You had bad translations, and it was just uh, like books that you would read in the train or whatever. And with uh, Elroy and and those those uh, modern authors, it changed the game because we had like we knew it was literature. We had great translation, like very famous translator. I'm thinking about like people like that you probably won't know, but Freddie Michalski or. And they tried to make Chandra real, real, yeah, real literature, and it changed everything for us. Well, and well, I, I'm not. Talk, I don't want to talk for other authors, but to me, uh, I thanks to those guys, I had access to those books. So I'm pretty grateful. Uh oh, I was just wondering how movies influence. <laughs> Um, I guess a lot because I'm really fond of movies and it's hard to distinguish like the well to me Jandra is like uh, a, a big fictional stuff with both movies great movies and great books inside and there's always been a link since the beginning between like boilers or hardball literature and 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 movies like Chandler was adapted so many times, and so I I, I really think that the two the two um, the two media's are linked, and uh, for this reason it influenced me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene in the book in which your character basically leads for his life. 
Yeah. Uh, and he's has to live with the guilt of that for a while. Yeah. But I wonder how early on you decided that you were going to do that. Oh. Whether it was a tough decision for you to make because you don't see protagonists yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very uh, hard question to answer. That that is really great. Uh, well, I, I think that I didn't want him to be like a white knight or something. So he, it, well, he did shit in the past, and is not like as Edward said, he's no hero. He is is just a regular guy. Uh, so maybe you'll call him a loser, but is just like a regular guy, like could be your neighbor, could be like a friend of yours. Uh, and I thought it was making him more human and he had, he, he, he had, well, and it gave him also what I wanted is to, well, I wanted to give him a burden. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's not he's not a good person. I mean, like he's definitely no hero. He gets mad at people. He's he's full of hate, full of violence. He's he can be a coward. He's not he's no tough guy. So well, uh, if we're frank, that's that thing we have inside. Well, those things we have them inside us. We're not proud of it, but those are regular uh, human. Uh, well. Yeah, stuff that we try to bury deep inside, but it always it always goes back, you know. <laughs> so he, he he has like this. Well, he made a mistake, and he won't get rid of it because you don't get rid of. Well, you can you can you can just waste your life on one stupid decision because like you're you're angry or whatever like in in 10 seconds your life can change and that's why it's terrible because you can like you can tear apart uh, well a whole existence just like this and that's what i wanted uh for him No more questions. <laughs> cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.